the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome along to the Boys of Tech, episode 212, for Monday the 6th of May 2013. My name is Edwin Herman, and this week we've got a a range of stories for you, so we'll check those out. Hope your week went well, mine certainly did, had a great weekend, and uh, I'm sure you'll agree if you notice my dancing skills on uh, Friday night. Anyway, I'm glad Brett's not here, actually, because he might have something to say about that. Anyway, let's kick off with uh, an interesting uh, move by a video game developer. Greenheart Games is a small Australian outfit. Uh, It's run by two brothers, and they released a title over the weekend called Game Dev Tycoon. And as the uh, name suggests, the game is about running a a game development shop. The game cost $8. It's available for Mac, Linux, and Windows. Great. And the thing that's notable about this particular release is that is the way they did it. They pirated their own game. That's right, the Greenheart Games, this development outfit, pirated their own game by uploading a, a cracked version of it uh, onto Pirate Bay. Now, the game was still available for sale via the usual channels, but it was, cracked version, was available on Pirate Bay. And within, I think, 24 hours, they had 3,000 downloads of the pirated copy. Now, the pirated copy it had a bit of a twist in it. It deleted all the files. No, I'm just joking. No, it, it had, after a few hours of play, it had a little message that pops up telling the player about the impact of pirating. It's basically like a, what would you call it, a guilt trip if you like. It's trying to make the the player who downloaded the cracked version of the game realize that in pirating games it's hurting the developers and they will go broke, they won't make any money and they won't, uh, they won't be doing any new games. And they were hoping to convert a certain number of people. Interestingly enough, some of them did convert. Several players stopped by the uh, discussion forum that Greenheart Games is running, and they said that they'd become paying customers. One person said, I wanted to let the team know that, yes, I did play the cracked copy, loved it, saw that it was only $8, and whether or not I even start the game up again, I figure the enjoyment I got last night was worth it. So that's kind of touching, isn't it, really? (laughs) In a a funny kind of a way. It was a publicity stunt in a way. They were also trying to raise awareness but really, it's uh, they're fighting a losing battle because the, the sad part is that the the piracy rates are around ninety four percent for that game. So there were three thousand one hundred and four players. The count came through on on the uh, servers uh, on Greenheart servers, and only two hundred and fourteen uh, genuine buyers. So yeah, ninety four percent is if that game is typical of you know the piracy levels of all games, then. It's up around 94%. Hmm. So I think that's a bit of an eye-opener. Um, great publicity stunt. Great way of uh, of doing it. And I think uh, they certainly got, well, look, we're talking about it, right? So uh, 
yeah, why don't you, while you're at it, why don't you go and check out Greenheart's games and see what you think? Now, also to mark a milestone in history, the world's very first web page is going to be dragged out of the uh, archives and restored onto uh, onto the internet uh, so that you can view it. In fact, that's been done now. You can uh, well, actually, I think at the moment they've only got a 1992 copy. The web, of course, was in, uh, invented at CERN in Switzerland in 1989. In fact, I, I remember some years ago taking the tour of CERN and I. I saw the world's first web server because that's still there. It was, a, I think, a Next, a Next box, I think, as in you know Next computers. Anyway, so they're gonna they've dragged that out. I'll tell you what we'll do is we'll put a URL on our show notes so you can uh, you can browse to to the first and I, I get well only for a period of time the only web. In fact, the entire web. And you know, I had to start somewhere, right? So you can browse the way the entire World Wide Web was. Just this one website. Uh, we'll put that in our show notes. Boysoftech.com. There's a link there. Mm. And by the way, they're doing it to mark 20 years of the web. But that's not 20 years, is it? Because if I add 20 to 1989, I get 2009. But so the story goes. I'll have to figure that one out later. Anyway, anyway, also we've on this show we've been following Solar Impulse. That's the progress of uh, the the solar powered plane developed also in Switzerland, incidentally. And this time they flew from where they flew from uh, San Francisco, uh, or you know near San Francisco, and landed in Arizona somewhere, Phoenix, Arizona. It went beautifully, but it's it's very slow. I mean, it, it flies around 65 kilometers an hour. It's 40 miles an hour. It's very, very slow. It only weighs about the, as much as a car, so it's very light. And So unfortunately, it can't travel in bad weather, and uh, it's rather delicate, so they don't go through clouds. <laughs> so, but, you know, it is a proof of concept, and they are planning to fly this around the world nonstop. Uh, day and night. That's the beauty about this thing is that it it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to fly in daylight. It can fly in the night time because it has batteries on board. So over time they'll charge and discharge and so on. So good news, the flight went absolutely smoothly. So that's really really good news for Solar Impulse. Digital radio apparently is doing well in Australia. Uh, you know it's bizarre, but here in New Zealand, I it it's very rare. Very, very rare. The only time I saw a DAB plus a device was when I was in England. And I, I've never seen one in New Zealand, ever. I don't know if they... Did they do trials here? I can't remember. They may have done trials, but there's certainly no commercial stations broadcasting in DAB. In Australia, though, it's working well. 94,000 digital radio devices were sold in just the first quarter this year. So the total number of devices out there in Australia... One and a quarter million. And in case you're thinking, oh, well, these will be people who bought it, but, you know, gave it up and never used it ever again. That's not true because they did a uh, listening survey and it showed that 12.3% of people are now listening to a DAB plus device or not listening to, but listening via, I should say, a DAB plus device each week. So for some reason it's working well in Australia. I think it, in England it worked reasonably well as well. Uh, and it never really took off here. I'm not sure whether it's to do with the, the um, 
Spectrum licenses here or whether it's the fact that the broadcasters aren't keen to take it on, I, I don't know. But I've never, ever seen one here in New Zealand. The thing that surprised me is the uptake of digital television versus the relatively slower uptake of digital radio. And I can't think of a good reason why that is. I mean, FM is a lot clearer than AM, but it's still analog. And uh, you still do get interference. So I'd be welcoming digital radio if um, if it ever arrived here in any uh, serious form. Now, on to flying insects, and we're talking flying robot insects. Yep, scientists in the US have created a robot the size of a fly, and it's able to to also mimic the agile manoeuvres of, of real insects. It's made of carbon fibre, weighs a fraction of a gram, and it beats its wings you know, very, very fast, just like a real insect. Now, unfortunately, at this stage, it's not able to carry its own power supply, so it's tethered via a very, very thin uh, cable, a very, very thin piece of wire that goes to a, uh, to a power supply at the moment. But you know, these people aren't doing this to build something useful. They're building this to understand how insect flight works. So these guys are researching this. But there are, of course, practical applications for this as well. One of the examples that was given was it could navigate through tiny spaces and collapse buildings. So if it's searching for something, so trip people, for example, you could send these things in very, very easily because they, well, you know, it's like a fly. It can go anywhere, pretty much. This will only obviously develop further. They do say that it will be a few years before they'll be able to carry their own power supply. I'm kind of thinking even that's a little optimistic because to fly any length, a decent length of time, you need a, a not insignificant weight carried to be carried around. And unless there's huge advances in battery technology, I can't really see that happening in just a few years. I can see that happening in a, a, a couple of decades or, or even more. But anyway, nevertheless, it's a cool piece of technology. By mimicking real insects, the scientists are able to study insect flight and of course the practical applications will come later on so that's awesome also still on flying robots the university of maryland has developed this drone it's a copter and it has the ability to stick to a ceiling or to a wall much like insects you know and geckos and things like that and it does that by a what's called a dry adhesive and of course while it's stuck onto the surface it's not using any battery so it can save its battery for other manoeuvres that it needs to do later on. So if it's in a certain terrain where it can't land, where there's nothing, no flat surface for it to land, if there is a wall or a ceiling of some sort, it can land on that, stick to it, do what it needs to do, fly off again when it's ready. So more and more we're seeing flying robots that, that mimic real animals, real organisms. I wonder how long it's going to be before we, we can't recognise them. When, when are we going to have the Turing test equivalent for telling insects and other organisms apart from robots? Yeah, all seems to be moving very fast, very fast indeed. Right, well, that's pretty much all I had prepared for this week, at least for the international stories. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about a US reviews network which has finally launched in New Zealand. Don't go away. Welcome back and Yelp. Yes, you've probably heard of it. Yelp 
the giant reviews network based in the US has launched in New Zealand already. It's based in San Francisco, in fact, and it lists businesses and has social networking features and people can uh, submit reviews of businesses. It's going to compete with local listing sites such as Localist and Yellow and so on and such forth. But, you know, Yelp think they can break into the market. They say that New Zealand's a natural fit considering that they're already operating in Australia and Singapore. Now, one of the points of difference between Yelp and other local versions is Yelp's range of apps, which uh, allow the site to be accessed on iPhones, iPads, and Android devices. And unlike the local listing site, Localist, Yelp allows both negative and positive reviews to be submitted. So things are going to heat up in that uh, area. Yelp, by the way, was founded in 2004 by former PayPal Vice President of Engineering, Jeremy Stoppelman, and also his former PayPal colleague, Russell Simmons. There you go. It's hugely successful outside of New Zealand. Let's wish them all the best in this market. And good news, of course, for people in New Zealand wanting to use Yelp to locate local businesses. And that's our show. That is, or was, episode 212 of the Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest-running tech podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll do it all again next week. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.